So that's a Singapore dream, HDB and a condo. So once you have that, you can rent out your HDB because nothing beats a HDB in terms of the rental yield. Nothing, right? Yeah, I think every Singaporean knows that. It's the most value for money property you can purchase if you are eligible for it. But that said, not all Singaporeans are eligible for that due to various reasons, right? Yes, you're right. You must have a family nucleus in the most traditional sense possible. If you're a single, you cannot buy BTO. In other words, you are buying an exit from a seller that has gotten all the incentives through their BTO process. Now, single people, right, cannot even buy prime location housing. So, all you single people, right, we're all going to stay in Pongo or maybe Canberra, right, with Dan and Lydia. (laughs) So I am going to say, as a single person, I do feel priced out from the Singaporean dream or however you want to call it. Maybe it's time the government of the day revisit this idea of what is the family nucleus. And why are people that do not fit the traditional idea of the family nucleus being massively disadvantaged or some would even say priced out of the HDB scheme? So yes, very unhappy, yeah? (laughs) Go and tag HDB in this episode. Ask them. Ask them for a reason why. Yes, like what Douglas, our realtor and famous internet scam buster, has put forth, HDB in the Singapore property market does provide the best rental you. Which is why I want ma. <laughs> and I know as homeowners, many of us are looking for a home, not so much an investment. But hey, it isn't too bad knowing that you can monetize your HDB at a good rate. Welcome back to Season 2 of Coconut Avenue Homeowner Edition. This season of Coconut Avenue is sponsored by Mortgage Master. They're a mortgage broker in Singapore with access to the lowest unpublished housing loan rates offered by the banks and financial institutions. Check them out at mortgagemaster.com.sg So finally, after five episodes into this season, we're going to talk a little bit about the juicy stuff, the investments, the yield, the capital gains, all the things that maybe as homeowners, it's not your priority, but you know, somewhere, somewhere there, you think about it. And I am very happy to finally have Douglas on our show, right? Douglas Chow, this weird, quirky guy in the personal finance space. Okay, fun fact about him, he organizes an underground network to look for financial scammers and even organize litigation and support for the victims of his community. We have secret groups of people in secret telegram groups because we are easily outnumbered by the bad guys, mm-hmm. but the number of victims outnumber the bad guys. Those who outright cheat, outright con, over-promise, under-deliver, a lot of the rara guys out there. Okay, okay. Yeah. But today we're going to focus on the, the property side. Yep, no shit, Andrew. <laughs> Today, we are going to focus on property. Once again, if you guys want to catch the full interviews with all the experts, check them out at Chills with TFC on the Financial Coconut podcast. You can also check out our YouTube channel at the Financial Coconut for the video format. Andrew did all the interviews with them, a lot of good juices, and I couldn't showcase all of them here. But yeah, that's Douglas Chow, the quirky realtor, Robin Hood of our time, underground scam busting network. But all jokes aside, he has a mirage of experience in the financial world, and we had to ask him this. So like, is it okay to look at my home as an investment? Yes, you can. Yeah. Um, the government wish you don't look at it too much as an investment. Um, but yes, of course, you definitely can. 
But of course, you know, people buy properties for different motivations as well. Some buy because they just want their children to be within one kilometer from the prestigious primary school. Because I think not everyone believes that all schools are good schools. Some schools are better than other schools. <laughs> oh, okay. This is a sensitive topic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So do you believe all schools are good schools? That's, that's for you to, to take your position. Huh? But to be fair, my family planned their first flat strategically within one kilometers of my primary school. And I still see many families doing that, all for the betterment of their future, of their kids, and what have you. I mean, like, <clears throat> Nanyang, primary? <laughs> but okay, what actually affects property prices? Cannot just be proximity to primary schools, MRTs, sheltered walkways, right? Aren't these things like everywhere today? So, growth. For your property to appreciate in price, there must be some external factor that drives it. Of course, underlying everything, or rather supporting growth of properties across the board, would be Singapore's economy. It's common sense, right? If Singapore were like Afghanistan, how much would property be worth? Properties in Singapore do well because Singapore's economy is still doing fine. Singapore is still relevant to the global economy. So, from the big picture perspective, all still look good. We'll have a look at the more um, specific factors. So, of course, um, looking at Singapore, uh, look at the master plan. Um, be familiar with where all the new growth areas are going to be. I think by now a lot of Singaporeans know growth will come from um, new development. So we have the Greater Southern Waterfront that's taking place. Um, the government wants to develop uh, woodlands into a second, you know, Jurong East. So that's going to be another um, CBD you know, happening in uh, woodlands. And of course, in Pongo, we have this new digital corridor. So you have all these new industries that's going to bring more employment into the place, more vibrancy. So these are the activities that um, and developments that all home buyers should be aware of. So you know that if I buy this place, five years later, ten years later, is the place going to be more vibrant? Will there be more activities? Because all this will drive up the price of your property. This is important. A lot of times when people talk about things, prices, they always talk about demand, supply, inflation. Even the auntie downstairs also can tell you, oh, demand, supply, inflation. Uh. <laughs> but I just want to say, this theory or this way of looking at the economy was born in the 1930s by Keynesian, right? So it's a very, very old way of looking at things. We have moved forward from that. There are some good ideas there, but hey, there are new ways to look at how the economy works and how prices move. Okay, and I'm not saying that I have the crystal ball that's going to tell you how prices are exactly going to move. But there are some core principles and we're going to talk about them. One unique thing about the Singapore property market is supply is a highly controlled factor. Most of the land are state-owned and we don't have a lot of land to begin with. So you will never see this idea of, oh, let's just build a highway out into nowhere. And then there's a whole new city that sprungs up. <laughs> which is very common in many other parts of the world. Which is why Douglas specifically point out about reading URA Development Plans, Urban Redevelopment Authority, URA. 
so that you know where are all the interesting plans coming up, where is the government going to spend more money in, and how are they planning to drive activity in particular areas, potentially increasing their prices. Take a look at the map and see where yeah, the potential is. Yeah, all the is, plans right? are all public information. You just go to the URA website. It's all there. And it's so fun to read. So I encourage all listeners to just explore the URA website, go to the master plan, look at all the different districts that uh, the government is going to pump in more money to make it more vibrant. Of course, personal preferences come into play. Some people prefer to live in the east, some people prefer a certain area. So, I mean, you need to balance that with the... Exactly, yeah. There are some hardcore Eastlanders who will yeah. never move out of East Coast area. East side, best side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then they say their food is better than the... Uh, it is. <laughs> Everywhere else. I'm not even saying I think it is. <laughs> An okay. objective statement. <laughs> You know, as a lifelong East Sider, I'm sorry, sorry guys, you've lost an ally. There's Issue 928 Laksa, there's Lee's Taiwanese in Clementi, there's Ola Coffee in Sunset Way, Shunfu Market Chakwetel. Singapore is more than the East Side, huh? so no more East Side, Best Side. Uh, <laughs> during these two years of the pandemic, I ventured far and wide, all the way to the ends of the nation, to try to understand what's out there. <laughs> So shout out to all you non-Eastsiders You got a lifelong Eastsider friend here Ally with you Also really, people, come on The Eastside is too dense I tell my friends What is unique about Tampanis? In Tampanis, you can never walk straight Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me <laughs> It never happens, you can't walk straight so yes, east side, west side, north side, back side, <laughs> whatever. I think it is important for all of us to grab a look at URA's development plan if you want to be a little bit more strategic with your property purchase. Like what Douglas has said, those plans are public information and shows where the government will be pumping in more public funds to create an interesting, vibrant environment. In other words, maybe pushing up demand and prices lah. Huh? <laughs> of course, the other big way people monetize their property is through rental you. Could you tell us a bit more on the HDB and that rental you is really attractive? Like, how true is that and, and what makes it so? Um, well, your tenant don't really care if um, it's a HDB or a condo. If it's, let me rephrase that. If your Tenant is not so particular about having security, not particular about having a swimming pool in the development. A HDB or a condo is perfect. And uh, he might pay similar rental for a HDB that is convenient for him, close to good food, close to MRT because a lot of tenants don't drive. They get about uh, via public transport, like most Singaporeans. And they will pay good renters. So, for example, a four-bedroom HDB, um, which means three bedrooms and a living room, near an MRT, let's say within five minutes walk, uh, can easily fetch 2.5 to 3K. Mm, okay. Yeah. Which is similar to what a small condo, let's say a two-bedder, might achieve. And of course, you know the price of a three-bedroom or a four-bedroom HDB is... Compared to a condo, it's way cheaper. Mm. And you get similar renter. But of course, you cannot compare a four-bedder condo with a four-bedder HDB. Because of course, the renter for the four-bedder condo will be significantly higher. 
But if you're comparing a two-bedder condo with a four-bedder HDB, both can fetch probably similar rental. HDB can fetch even a higher rental. And you don't have to pay so much for that four-bedroom HDB. Now, I'm talking about the older HDB. I'm not talking about those million-dollar HDB resale that you have been uh, reading off in the news. Yeah. Okay, those make headlines. Yeah. Uh, but let's let's talk about more more of an average situation that we might find ourselves in, right? Yeah, so HDBs they were built maybe in the nineties, mm. in the eighties. Yeah, if you were to buy those HDB uh, from the resale market, um, you will spend a lot less. What kind of rental you are we looking at? Uh, of course, it depends on your purchase price. Mm. Um, but um, I mean, if you're talking about the very extreme examples, let's say someone buys a four-bedroom HDB in the early 1980s. We're talking about twenty-seven to $30,000 for a four-room flat. So can you believe it? That kind of four-room flat can easily fetch a rental of 2.5K. Now, 2.5K you times 12 is almost the buying price of the HDB. So <laughs> a rental you, geez, talking about close to 100%. But those are extreme cases, right? Mm. If you talk about current HDB prices, I think the way they are priced, I'm not pro-government for the sake of it, but objectively speaking, you look at the new HDB BTOs that are priced these days um, in mature estates, a four-bedroom is going for about 400 plus K. So if you were to get 2.5K um, rental per month, you times 12 is 30K. 30K divided by, let's say, 450,000. Great great use mm. so you can't fight that kind of use okay right? okay so if i were to go back in time i wish i could have a chance to buy my own hdb but at that point in time i was single you can't buy below 35 any hdb mm. at all so my first property was a condo not that i wanted to but i had no choice but well i turned out fine i made money from that so no complaints I'm sure, I'm sure this auntie that bought her 30,000 HDB and held it all the way have no complaints too. I mean, she probably doesn't hang out with the uncle downstairs at the Kopitiam. <laughs> Is this the OG buy and hold strategy? But I do question, do all these ideas still work for millennials getting our first property at today's prices? But I guess good news for all of us is, if you're a homeowner, your primary goal is about affordability and not profit maximization. That being said, there's no harm to be a little bit smarter in choosing your property locations after you have narrowed down your choices. Maybe the last factor is profit potential, but it is potential. If you want to actualize your profits, you have to sell it. If not, everything is paper value only. And remember our guest from last week, Aaron? He said this about selling his first property. And, and the first we were offered 630. So we, we were like, no, it's like 20K lower than my listing. And then our friend was saying, uh, based on their experience, most of the time, the first offering always the highest. And that's fucking true. <laughs> <laughs> and ever since that, mm-hmm. Our highest offer is like, like 560, 570. It's like, oh, oh, there, you know. So why? why? Why is it like this? Is this the universal truth? Is this the universe trying to help you to sell your property at the best price? 
And interestingly, while we were trying to ask Douglas another question, this question of resale or new launch, endless discussion, resale or new launch, which should I buy? Some juices came out that I feel has kind of answered this question. So listen carefully. What is better? Should I buy resale? Should I buy brand new? Maybe I can just shed a light on how we can think about this. Because again, there's no right or wrong. Um, I guess if you're going to be very clear-cut about this, if you're wrong, it means that you lose money. Lah. If you're right, you make money, lah, whether you go to resale or brand new. So let's talk about um, the thought process. So a lot of folks, they look at the new launches and they'll say, wow, it's more expensive than the previous launches. Of course. But there is a reason why new launches are more expensive. Look, developers also want to sell their projects at a good price. That is good for them and good for you. They price it too high, they'll take forever to sell. It's bad for them and their cash flow. So things are getting more expensive for a very simple reason. Land cost is more expensive. If you read the news, you know how um, labor cost has gone up, construction cost has gone up, and even Great Earth construction you know, recently went belly up. So um, there are a lot of cost pressures and all this is built into the final launch price of any new project. And of course, a new project comes with a brand new lease compared to older project that maybe has been around for 10 years. So things will just get more expensive. This is how it is. So some folks would then go to the resale market. And when they go to the resale market, sometimes you realize that how come resale market is attractive because the price is cheaper. But the price don't seem to go up a lot compared to a new launch after 3-4 years when it's ready for occupancy. You see people flipping the project for 10-15-20% profit. So they're wondering, why is this the case? So hopefully, um, without any diagrams, I can sort of explain uh, what's happening. So in the resale market, so let's say you're looking at a project that was sold 20 years ago. A million dollars, right? At that point in time, the first owner bought it for a million dollars. Now, when you're looking at the project, you're comparing to another similar project, brand new, okay, just to be fair, similar lo- location, uh, but, you know, um, space still some distance apart. So the new one is going for maybe, you know, um, 1,004 PSF, right? Um Everything is newer, facilities are newer, maybe it's more modern. So you decide, why not I buy the resale project? Um, maybe I can buy it for 1003 which is $100 cheaper than the brand new project, which let's say is selling at 1004 mm. It's fine. So after you buy at 1003 you look to your neighbor and realize that, hey, how come eventually at 1004 this guy can sell at 1006 but at 1003 I'm struggling to find someone who can pay me higher. So what is the logic? The logic is because you have bought from the first buyer who had bought it at 1 million, you bought it at 1.3. Now, you're hoping that somebody else will buy from you at a higher price. But this guy who you hope will buy from it at a higher price, has a choice. He can go back to the original first owners and negotiate a price lower than what you will expect. 
And these guys are the first owner, those who bought in year 2000. Um, they will be sitting on a larger profit just by selling less than what you're asking for. Mm. So that is the dynamics why in the resale market, sometimes for certain projects, um, the price acquisition is not a lot because people will try to buy from the original owners who might actually ask for less because they are sitting on a nice profit cushion. So it will take some time before you, as a second owner of the same unit, to get a higher price. Okay, la, so the answer is out. La. Your neighbour playing a fool. <laughs> so yes, what you should do is go and make friends with all your neighbours and come together and form a co-op and pack prices. <laughs> Minimum selling price. La. Everybody pack the same. Is this even legal? <laughs> But I guess this is why there's a rumour out there that say your first offer is the best price. It may not be universal truth, but it is probably a situation where everybody in your estate wants to sell at the same time after their five-year minimum occupancy period or after the three years occupancy period within a private property such that they do not need to pay additional seller stamp duty, no additional tax. So everybody wants to release their property at the same time, right? So your neighbour is also your competitor. They also have a house That is their product Correct okay. Correct you, You've got it Exactly Is so, that the main reason? That is actually uh, One of the major reasons okay. Because uh, End of the day Everybody wants to sell His property At the highest possible price Unless he's the only one In the whole development selling Then it's good for him Because he has no other competitors No one else wants to sell mm. But if Everyone else is also selling they will start to sell slightly lower than your asking price to clear. Right, and, and the seller will go to him or her. And yeah. if he's happy at earning 250 PSF, where else you have to sell... Let's say it's profit of 250 PSF, uh, it's such that you would only earn 50 PSF if you were to sell. Would you sell as a second owner? No. You will say, I will just hold. And then you have to wait for all the other guys to sell until you have a lot of second owners owning the place before your asking price become reasonable. Mm. Yeah. So I should be checking the transactions around my area, right? If yes. I want to sell or if I want to look at potential, uh, potentially selling this place in the future. Different projects have different uh, characteristics. So for example, uh, now that we're on this kind of projects as well, um, Sometimes you have very big projects with a lot of transactions, very good, because when you want to sell, there's a good reference point for potential buyers to refer to it to offer. Some projects, hardly anybody sell, and maybe the last transaction was five, six years ago. And then now you're asking for a pretty high price, and the buyer will come to you and say, hey, I'm offering you what I think is a good price. And if you look at the last transacted price five years ago, I'm really paying you 15% more. Is that not enough? Okay, because that's the only reference point available. Yes. Yeah. And of course, he's not going to low boy you and pay your price five years ago. He's actually paying you a 15% premium. But mm. of course, you want more. But how do you justify when there's no transaction within your development to support? So it's very hard for such smaller developments unless the buyer loves it so much. The feng shui is a perfect fit. He doesn't look at any past transaction. He just wants it all cost. Then you're one lucky seller. Once again, coconuts, feng shui, feng shui, Chinese people. <laughs> Throw pineapple into the house. La. Ask the feng shui master to come and visit. La. So much for science and progress. 
But that's it for today. Douglas covered a lot of other common questions that many property buyers will be interested in. So some of these things we could not cover today and not so shameless plug, visit the Financial Coconut Podcast for the long-form interview. In closing today's episode, I believe we have covered a lot already. With six episodes in, I'm pretty sure you have a clearer idea of your first property purchase. But I know some of you will have very specific questions like, oh, based on my horoscope, which direction should I buy? (laughs) So I would like to invite you to join us for episode 10. It is a live session. We are going to be answering your questions, your very specific question, which estate, how to do certain things, anything that's specific to you. We are bringing the experts together to answer your questions. So join us for more details, follow our socials, sign up for email newsletter. Everything is in the description below. So yes, the next two episodes will be very story-driven as I chill with two of my teammates at TFC to explore their property story. I hope you will take whatever you've learned so far to review their stories and ideas and build your confidence in buying your first property. See ya!